Welcome to Tax Bites for Expats, the top tax tips you want to know as an expat. The podcast is here to help answer the common queries and concerns expats have when moving to or from Ireland. Complex taxes explained simply. We'll focus on the Irish and international tax issues to be aware of to ensure you save time, money and stress. Hi, my name is Stephanie Wickham from expattaxes.ie. You're listening to the Tax Bites for Expats podcast, the show that explains the do's and don'ts of income taxes for people who are moving to or from Ireland. Hi everyone, welcome to this episode of Tax Bites for Expats. Today we're joined by Lisa O'Reilly of LOR Property Solutions. Some background about Lisa, um, she's a big four trained chartered accountant and she climbed the corporate ladder for over 14 years. She's worked with large multinational companies including GSK, Teppa Pharmaceuticals and Dawn Meats. She's been involved with property since 2008 and in 2021 she founded LOR Property Solutions. In this business that she now uses her financial project management background and she provides passive low-risk investment solutions to individuals who are coming to move to Ireland or people who are already living here and who have funds to invest. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. I don't think that intro did you justice, to be honest, because you've got lots of experience. And I know today's topic is something that's probably quite close to your heart, given the area you work in. Yeah, thanks for having me, Steph. Um, thanks a million. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's been a varied kind of uh, career for the last, um, especially the last two years. It's been very, um, there's been a lot going on um, yeah. and a lot of learning in, in terms of the property industry, you know. Yeah. So today's where we're going to have a chat about, you know, renting in Ireland, um, investing in property in Ireland. You know, we'll we'll touch on some of the tax issues and the practicalities, which I know you're an expert in. But um, before we jump into all that, yeah, just tell us a little bit more about yourself. What led you to setting up LOR? Um, what does that look like? And, you know, tell us a bit about your clients. Yeah, so I suppose um, about two years ago, um, I was working for a company and um, I probably I didn't have a great experience in the company. And I just said to myself, do you know what? It's actually time to uh, do something for myself. Um, I found that I was kind of aggressively, you know, chasing the the, the corporate career ladder. Um, but I, I suppose I didn't really understand why I was doing it. Um, and it just really didn't suit me. Um, so about two years ago, then I just made that decision um, to do something for myself. I thought you had to have um, like a really good, cool business idea in order to be an entrepreneur. Um, and I kind of I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And um, he said all about assets, like and the, the, the importance of acquiring assets in order to escape the rat race. So I had an investment property at that stage. Um, and I said, well, hang on a minute. Why not try and build on that? So I did some um, training over in the UK on how to um, invest in property, in particular property that where you rent out by the room. And yeah, for the last two years, I've been uh, raising finance from, say, high net worth individuals, um, expats and acquiring like a property portfolio and uh, renting them out to, to tenants. So it's been a it's been a kind of a, a busy two years networking and raising finance and and then refurbing properties, um, managing tenants. Uh, so it's really varied kind of a, a, of a career. But that's exactly what I like. That's what kind of gets me up in the morning. Um, I, I don't like routine um, and I like this kind of this whole entrepreneurial kind of uh, lifestyle. Fair play to you. I mean, 
when you get to the age or the stage of your life where, you know, you've you've kind of established your career, it's a scary thing to jump. Um, and it's brilliant to hear that it's been such a successful one for you. I'm not surprised um, because I think you're probably everything you do, you do well. So it doesn't surprise me it's been a success, but I'm really glad to hear it. And I know you've got lots of information and tricks and tips for people who might be listening. Let's maybe talk about what it means to invest in property in Ireland. Um, so, for example, if we have somebody who's planning to come back to Ireland, they maybe have some spare cash and they see that the, the rental market in Ireland is buoyant at the moment. If they ring you and they ask you for some tips, what do you say to them? What are the things you would want somebody to be aware of coming into that? So I, I suppose, first of all, um, and it's probably a lot of it is in the media um, anyway, is Ireland is actually a very regulated uh, market when it comes to the rental market um, in terms of tenants. So I suppose unlike the UK, where there's a lot less restrictions, in Ireland, um, you have what's called the Residential Tenancy Board. So all tenancies have to be registered with the RTB, the Residential Tenancy Board. Um, And look, I suppose um, it's really not fit for purpose. It's been around for the last, I think it's like four or five years. The website itself is probably not fit for purpose and causes a lot of issues. On top of that, the tenants in Ireland have like real strong rights over here, you know. So like in order to kind of evict a tenant, in order to maybe increase the rents, um, there's there's some serious restrictions there. A big one is rent caps. If you were going to go buy in a property, for example, if it's in the rent pressure zone, which most properties in, say, in the cities and the, and the large towns are, they'll most likely be um, in a rent pressure zone, which means that there's rent caps. So whatever the rent was, so even if the last owner set a rent, say, at um, a particular price, when you as a new owner come in, you can only actually increase that rent uh, by 2% um, every year. So, yeah, it's one to look out for. So so say, for example, um, there'll be a glut of property gone onto the market, especially with rising interest rates. Um, because people kind of got caught in with that low rent and they weren't really allowed to increase it, uh, well, 2% every year. But sure, you know the way interest rates have gone at the moment. So um, people can be like, there's a lot of landlords leaving the market because the rent caps means that they're not able to kind of afford their, their mortgage repayments. So therefore, they're putting the property on the market. But a new investor coming in or an expat or whoever is coming in to buy that property should be aware. And the first question they should ask is, was there a tenant in this previously? And what were the rents that they were charging? Is the property in a rent pressure zone? Um, And more or less, um, you know, work out whether you can actually you're okay with the rents because you are restricted on how much you can actually increase the rents by. This uh, this is a sorry, it's just me being curious. Um. Like, how then do you end up with the astronomical rents that we see people paying in Dublin? Like, where? how does that happen then if arguably, so I, I'm assuming, it, you know, in Dublin, it's a rent rent pressure zone. Is it our whole city's coverage in this way? Because I have clients who come and they might be paying, you know, two, two and a half thousand euro for, you know, a fairly standard apartment. How do they end up paying that if there's this control is my question. Yeah, so um, actually, um, the the way that happens, uh, Steph, is when the rent pressure zone came out around four years ago, they would have hiked up the rents. The the the, the savvy ones would have hiked up the rents about four years ago. Okay, okay. So that's one way. 
Um, but the reason why probably that happened is because uh, there's a couple of ways. One is an investor would have bought it off of a homeowner. So mm-hmm. if there were in previously, if there was no tenant in it um, and it was, say, a homeowner that was in it and you bought that property off of a homeowner. Well, then there's no market rent that's been set. So you okay. can set the market rent. And so an investor would buy that property and really hike the rent up um, and really overinflate, say, the, the, the property, the, the rent on that property. So uh, like when I'm looking for property, for example, um, I, I very unlikely would buy it off of a, a previous investor. Mine would most likely come from, say, an older mm. person who owned the property before because that's your opportunity to get that those rents up. Wow. But what that means is, like you said, Steph, is like the rent pressure zone actually is counterintuitive because it actually goes against the whole yeah. thing about keeping rents down. Mm. So um, it, it incentivizes people to sell a family home <laughs> um, to an investor rather than to another person who's able to come in and buy it as their first home. It Well, it completely distorts the market, doesn't it? I mean, potentially. It, it, is. it is completely distorting the market. And there's a lot of kind of media attention on this at the moment. But what people are saying is, oh, you know, reduce taxes, reduce, you know, in order to encourage more landlords into the market, we need to reduce the, the tax that they're paying because this is another thing we can go into. However, before we actually get to the taxes, which comes at the end, well, let's look at what we can charge. And mm. it's the rent caps that are keeping a lot of rents artificially low. But at the same time, it's keeping a lot, um, it's actually making a lot of the rents hyperinflated. So you've got this kind of real kind of, um, some rents are too low, and yet some rents are way too high. It's not actually, it's it's messing with the normal market kind of supply mm. and demand. Mm. And it's not creating that balance there at all. I mean, inflation's running at what, like 8% I, 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 based on some of the recent statistics. So how is a 2% annual increase justified? I mean, it just doesn't make sense. And it, this is not news <laughs> um, to, to, to the government or to people who set policy. So, okay, that's really interesting. I, I, I didn't actually have an understanding of that. So the learning there is if you're coming and you're planning to invest, be savvy about the property you purchase because Absolutely. you may and ask the questions. That's really, really interesting. So what do you what are the other things that you kind of see people um struggle with or um find difficult or what do you find difficult as a landlord, you know, on a day-to-day basis once the correct property's been identified? So once you identify the correct property, then it's all about getting the right tenants. Um so that that's critical because, as I mentioned before, um, the tenants have huge amount of rights um, in, in Ireland. Um, so if they stop paying or if they're kind of, um, you know, dirty and messing up your property or damaging your property, or if, say, for example, you just want to uh, sell the property or you want to put a family member in there, it, it, you know, there's lots of hoops to jump through in order to uh, give notice and, and get your tenants out. Um, what happens a lot is um, you'll give notice, say, if, say for example, you want to sell the property or you want to uh, move your uh, family member in, you'll give a notice to the tenants um, the the notice period increases however long uh, that tenant's actually been in the house. Um, so say, for example, if you had a long-term tenant, like a, a one that's kind of been over, um, you know, a year even, the notice period is gets progressively uh, longer. Um, and then what tends to happen then, uh, if you've got a bad tenant, is as soon as they get notice, they'll stop paying the rent. 
okay because they know that the rtb who's meant to kind of um uh, mediate between the landlord and the tenant is more in favor of the tenant um and it's very unlikely that you're ever going to be able to get that money back you're hearing a lot of stories where as soon as a tenant gets uh, their their notice to get out um they they could stop paying the rent and there's not much you can do about that um so and then the other thing then is is like you might give notice and you might give it on the letter say you believe that that letter is clear and concise and you've handed it to them but the R- then you have to submit that letter to the RTB and the RTB can come back and say no, no that's not a valid um that's not a valid kind of letter uh, for notice period it needs to be in this template or this template so then it just slows down the whole process and is too much kind of red tape involved so i suppose that the key or uh, my message would be to anyone is pick a good tenant Mm-hmm. Um, you know, good occupation. Personally, I rent by the room. So that means that, um, say if I've got a four bedroom house, I've got four income earners all paying towards um, the rent. So if one of them loses their jobs or stops paying for whatever reason, I have three others that are uh, likely to still be paying their rent. Um, if you go for a family that is a one income earner, you're at the risk of that one person possibly, you know, losing their job or whatever, falling on bad times, and then they can't pay. Um, and again, because the rules are kind of more in favour of the tenants, you're more at risk there, I suppose. Wow. Okay, so be diligent when you're taking somebody into the property. Um, have you experience or, you know, do you have a recommendation for people to maybe use an agent for that vetting process? I I, I would imagine you do that yourself but do you find that having a third party involved adds value or do you have an opinion on that because we would see a lot of our clients who have existing properties in Ireland and are not here would use an agent um to kind of vet potential tenants I would let the agents uh, shortlist them for you but I wouldn't let them make the final decision I would let them give their recommendations um and shortlist them but there's nothing like your own gut feel. Your mm. agent, um, it doesn't own the property. Um, I've seen a kind of cases where, um, you know, agents will uh, let tenants in um, and because they're the ones probably could be hounding them, for example. They're the ones always ringing the office. Or, mm. um, But I would say that if you're going to use an agent, ask them to kind of bring you maybe three or four qualified tenants Um, where they've seen all the documentation, they've got the copies of the passports or the visas if they need a work visa, um, bank statements, uh, employment contracts, payslips, etc. I would say let them do the vetting, but bring you maybe three or four and then use your gut feel then to go with uh, who you think is going to be the the most suitable. Uh, Because, yeah, like they're dealing with this every day all day that's fine but it's your property at the end of the day and you're the one that's going to be left with you know the cost or if, if it does go wrong I look I suppose I'm kind of painting a, a bit of a negative picture but I'm kind of more going at the, the you know let's how how can we lower the risk you know um, oh, oh look and I think people I think that's the right thing to do is that you know it's better to go into it with your eyes open and avoid being one of the 
you know, ending up with a bad story, which are hopefully in the minority than to walk into a blind. Um, and that's, I'd imagine anybody listening to the podcast is, is listening because they want to know the things to be aware of. So I think it's, it's great that you're, you're mentioning them. Um, look, I, I mean, we can talk collectively about some of the, the tax issues. And I know we mentioned we touch on them kind of at a high level. Um, what do you have any comments on that? I mean, from my perspective, I'm happy to kind of comment around what we see, but yeah, I'm keen to hear from your side, um, your view or even comment on taxes on rental income generally. Yeah, so I suppose, um, look, tax on rent, as, as you know, Steph, is uh, your marginal rate of tax, which just added onto your income. Um, so if I suppose um, if you earn in Ireland, then you're, you're most likely it's going to be at the 52% tax rate because you're, you've you've reached the threshold already possibly with your with your salary or your other income and uh, rental income is just added on. Um, however, I suppose, look, if you are paying taxes in uh, other countries because you're residents in other countries, well, then uh, as it is taxes at the marginal rate. So I, um, I assume it's 20% marginal rate of income. Um, and then in terms of company versus uh, personal name, there was these uh, strict rules and regulations that if you were a foreign landlord, um, there was kind of like a grey area about like withhold the, the tenant needing to withhold 20% withholding tax out mm. of the rents. Um, and obviously that was never going to never gonna work. So then they brought in this idea of like collection agents where yeah. um, you needed to use a, a collection agent. Um, but I believe they're after kind of... Um, uh, loosening the rules there lately. Is that correct? Um, yeah. So um, there's been recent guidance around this and it, it's still an area that's developing. Uh, so revenue, as I understand it, are about to roll out a system whereby um, if a collection agent is in place, they are required to deduct 20% from the rental income for a non-resident landlord. So what we generally say to people is if you are a non-resident landlord, um, you can ask the accountant who's doing the tax return, the property agent who's with dealing with the tenants or a family member to act as your collection agent. It doesn't have to be a certain category of person. It can be anybody essentially. But that person with the new rules, as I understand them, um, is going to have an obligation to take 20% of the rent and pay it across to revenue in real time. Now, I have yet to cite the system that revenue have been rolling out. And I think there's ongoing discussions in practice and industry generally about how this is going to work. But the concept is revenue don't want non-resident landlords slipping out of the tax net in Ireland. So they essentially pass the baton to somebody who's based in Ireland to collect the taxes for them. Um, so you're bang on. Um, and that's been, from our perspective, a challenging um situation because it was exactly like we said at the start before we started to record everyone's circumstances are different so the system doesn't tend to cater to unusual situations where maybe a landlord has two properties and therefore needs two collection agents and then how many tax returns do they need so there can be slight um divergences from the standard situation that make that complicated i think the message i would have and i'm keen to hear if you have any reasons you think this wouldn't work from a practical perspective would be what we often see is if a married couple, for example, let's just give a, you know, a couple who maybe are living in Australia 
and they have a property in Ireland. And um, the question would come, you know, we're going to purchase an investment property. Should it be jointly held or should it be in one name only? Now, I'm assuming the couple are married. Um, Assuming that to be the case, I would generally ask the question, well, if one partner in the marriage doesn't have income, it gives a better tax outcome if that partner holds the investment asset. Because from an Irish perspective, it means that they likely have a fuller entitlement to tax credits and a lower rate of overall tax on the income. Um, And it's kind of a rabbit hole we could go down. But like we were saying before the call, everyone's situation is different, isn't it? And this is where Mm. the value of having somebody like yourself who understands how to navigate this, having tax support, you know, you could in theory save, we've seen people save instantly save 2000 euro a year or more um simply by just doing something very simple like putting the property into the name of the of the spouse who doesn't have an income simple things that can make a big um difference especially when you're fighting something like high tax rates rent pressure zones high regulation pick the path of least resist- resistance wherever it exists in other words do your research and find it is is generally that the, the the line i would have um yeah. But yeah, you're bang on, like ultimately marginal rate of tax in Ireland for rental income. And and I think you raised a really valid point earlier on, and it's more around kind of policy than, you know, giving people information that they can take away and use. But it's that, you know, we do focus on what the tax figure is. And yet it sounds like there's there's issues at the other end of the spectrum, which is how much can you charge and what is the, the, what the market willing to pay? Yeah. Um, in terms of like, things to do then what are the registrations you mentioned the rtb is there other things that people need to be aware of that they should be proactive about when if they're renting a property out yeah so obviously local property tax then as well is is another one that you need to keep on top of every year uh to register um to to pay that um and it's kind of important to make sure that you're in the correct bracket and not just go down lower on the bracket um because if you ever did come to sell your investment property it it would all catch up on you anyway um mm. you know if, if all of a sudden you sell it for a lot higher than what you kind of declared it for for the local property tax um so i suppose that would be uh, one of them i i would say if you are going if you are expat I would say you definitely should engage a, a, a letting agent to do all of the RTB registrations because it is a minefield and it's constantly changing. Um, mm. In terms of getting them to source a tenant for you, as I said, maybe get them to bring you maybe three or four and you make the final call. But in terms of, say, like all that kind of uh, red tape, all that registration, um, I, I would definitely leave that to a, a letting agent um, because it's co- the, 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 it's constantly changing. And, uh, you know, if you've only got one or two, why, like, leave it to the experts. The letting agents are dealing with maybe 50, 100, 150 tenancies. So they are really on top of their game. I've even heard stories with the letting agents that uh, do have maybe 100 property, 50 or 100 properties that they actually spend most of their time now navigating the RTB website and issuing notices and issuing kind wow. of reviews, et cetera. So it becomes their full-time job. So like, you know, you don't, you know, if you're, if you're foreign, like living in foreign lands, you don't want this to become a full-time job. So no. I would suggest that, yeah, uh, because it's money well spent. Yeah, it is definitely money well spent. We're heavily regulated. 
um, you know, maybe maybe it's definitely worth or it is definitely worth uh, using using a letting agent. Mm. In terms of like buying a property through your personal name versus a company name, so I suppose um, I think the general rule of thumb is like one or two properties personal name all day long. Um, but as soon as you start, if you want to make a business out of this and you want to kind of grow your portfolio, um, it makes then it then starts to make more sense to to buy them in a, in a company name because the the rate of tax um, in your personal name say say the fifty two percent marginal rate of tax um, in a company name it will be more like towards the forty percent mark because it will be twenty five percent investment income and twenty percent closed company surcharge um so it i think it works out roughly it could be vice versa but it works out roughly around the 40 percent um but the reason why it's not very advisable to put one or two properties into a company is because you still need to get money out of the company Mm -hmm. uh so you know you're paying 40 percent say tax within the company on the profits but yet, like, remember, a company is a completely separate legal entity than you yeah. personally. So you can't then go spending that money yourself mm-hmm. um, on your own personal um, stuff. You still need to get that money out of the company. So it's it's it only makes sense to put property into a company, I suppose, when you're looking to scale and get bigger um, and grow mm. that portfolio um, yeah. is, is possibly where would be my advice. Yeah, I think you've you explained that, summarised it really, really well. I mean... The way I generally approach it is kind of for work out what the person's commercial intention is. So what's your why? You know, why are you doing this? And usually once you've kind of answered that, you can then go, okay, well, with that in mind, this is what works. And and you're dead right. You know, are you looking to scale? Is this going to be a trading business that has a sufficient level of, you know, frequency and regularity and um, the number of transactions in it are, are, are going to be high? Or it's an analysis, isn't it? It's a complex area. Uh, but I think you're dead right because often that question comes, you know, should I set up a company? And I, I would be exactly with you. I, w- I would always say, no, please don't until we discuss it further. It's not a, you're not missing any tricks here with a company and and you could essentially be causing yourself a headache if you don't approach it properly um that's really useful okay um right so what i'm thinking is people are likely very keen to hear how you can help them um because we would we would deal with cohorts of people who come from all over the world and i suppose what i generally see is quite a lot of irish people who have an intention to return here Um, and would like to invest in Irish property in advance of a return, but often aren't sure where to start. So tell us about LOR and, you know, the service that you offer to the listeners that might have tuned in today um, and how you can potentially help them if if, if they're looking for more guidance on this subject. Yeah, so I suppose um, I've got a couple of investors of which um, actually Australia, uh, Steph, uh, would be one of uh, my one 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 of my investors hails from. So um, basically, um, because of all the kind of the regulation um, with with renting in Ireland. Um, it's not something that you want to go into lightly. So what we've done uh, at Law Properties is we offer two main uh, services and it's all around kind of how to make it more passive and more kind of like a proper investment for uh, um, someone. So the first service would be um, the the person, say, from Australia, America or whatever, has uh, money sitting in their bank. 
they're realizing, look, it's sitting in the bank, it's earning nearly 0% interest, maybe negative interest to even hold it there. Um, and therefore, because of inflation, the value of that money is actually going down. So you find a lot a lot with kind of people with money sitting in the bank. They're always looking for a place to put that money. So property is a great one because, you know, bricks and mortar, uh, the value of property always kind of goes up over time. So what we do is um, if you have money sitting in the bank, um, the first service we offer is you loan to say um, to, to the company. Um, for a fixed return on your investment. So um, what that means is, say, for example, if you have, say, 100, 150000 in the bank, you loan that to, uh, to the company and we will use that money to purchase a, a property, a said property, um, a named property. And that person who's loaned the money will not only receive a first charge on the property, so that is the highest form of legal security that a person could actually um, have. It's a, for, it's a security, say, that banks take when they're um, you know, lending on, on property. So they'll get a first charge on the property, but then they'll get a fixed return on their, on their money paid monthly into their bank. So we pay anything from 6% up to 10%, depending on how much is, in, uh, is invested um, per year but we pay the interest monthly. So it means someone can, can invest in property without the hassle of being a landlord. We're, we're basically the landlord. Um, we agree a certain period of time. It could be anywhere between two years and five years. And after that two years or five years, that person then receives their full capital that they invested back. But all the way during that time, they've been receiving a monthly interest uh, on, on their money. The second service then is someone who wants a bit more hands on and they want to own the property themselves. Um, so this is, say, where, for example, um, we would look for a property forum, um, that one that would work because it's all about getting your, you know, the, a golden property in the golden area, you know. Um, so my area in particular is based down in Waterford uh, where there's great yields but again, you won't want to be investing in every area of Waterford because, you know, you need the, the, the knowledge of where, where it's good to invest, where are the good tenants. And Lisa, how do you, um, I'm just out of interest, like, is, is that data readily available? It's not very readily available. What you do is you kind of look at where your tenants are based. Okay. okay. So say, for example, um, some a good tenant base would be somewhere where there would be maybe a university hospital because they have rotation of doctors coming um, and lots mm. of doctors coming in. It would be where there might be a university where there's a good kind of um, cohort of basically you want a good cohort of tenants. Um, you won't want to go somewhere, say, for example, where it could be like a suburb out of a town or a town, say, where there wouldn't be much work or employment in that area. You yeah. wouldn't really want to invest in a property that would be out in the countryside, really, um, because what it means is it's just you're narrowing down your your the tenants who want to live in that property um so you want to go somewhere where there's a good cohort of tenants to keep to keep the rents as high as they possibly can go um and also that that you're going to have a constant so say if someone leaves they can kind of it can be they can be replaced pretty easily so there'll be some towns that you wouldn't want to kind of go near because of there's lack of employment equally the countryside wouldn't be a great place to kind of um, invest in an investment property Okay. Yeah. And, and and it's funny, isn't it? Because, you know, there's such a shortage of of 
rental properties. Have you experienced any difficulty in letting your properties? I mean, I, I would assume no. I mean, I would just imagine that regardless of where a property is, it's going to be rented. But I hear what you're saying. It's like, well, yeah, it is at the moment, but maybe in six months time, if things aren't as buoyant, if you've picked something in the country, it's going to be difficult. I, I, there's real wisdom in what you said, like be savvy, pick the area that's going to perform regardless of economic conditions. Yeah, like right now, you know, you can rent anything out. You can rent a bloody bus out, say, for example, and it would it would rent, you know, um, people would live on a bus uh, because they're so desperate right now. But, you know, all that will eventually change. It might not change in the next, like, maybe five years, but it will change. You know, um, they will, they are building for, for, for rent. So back in the past, I suppose, Ireland was very much you have to own your own home. Um, on the other hand, Germany, for example, you know, it's only 50% ownership, like 50% of people in Germany actually rent. So we are going to get down to a place or get to a time where renting just becomes more um, kind of um, the norm. And so when that happens um, and the market's kind of like kind of stabilized a bit because there's more supply being brought to the market, you know, you're going to be stuck stuck with that property basically so you really do want to get for, for an investment property you want to like future proof that property it's also important to note as well Steph that it's all this is if you've got your own cash that's fine you can buy where you like but just say for example down the line if you want to maybe get bank finance on that particular property uh, the banks will only loan uh, on property where there's a population of uh, over 50,000 people in general. That's a general rule of thumb. Wow. So if you're going into a town, maybe like, I don't know, say Athai or somewhere like that, where it's a, a smaller town, you know, it could be hard to get bank finance. And another thing to note in, in Ireland is we don't have that many banks in Ireland. Uh, we've got maybe three pillar banks. Uh, we had two pull out there in the last couple of years. Um, we do have some alternative alternative lenders, um, you know, coming in onto the market now. But in general, we don't have that many banks lending. So therefore, mm -hmm. it's really important that if you do want to look for finance down the in the future for a property, um, stick to the cities, stick to where there is good rental um, demand, because this is effectively reducing your risk um, and it makes you more, you know, uh, lendable to, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that's a really robust piece of advice. You know, you're kind of saying, pick carefully who you, where you invest, who you rent it to, who you borrow from. Like it's, it's, it's a strategy, isn't it? This is not just, I've got a bit of cash. I want to invest. It's be prudent. Do your, do your work up front and future proof your investment because, you know, the money for investment is hard earned, isn't it? And, and it needs to deliver a return and you're kind of swimming against the tide on a few fronts. So, yeah, this is it, it lends itself to going to an expert because obviously you have a lot of experience in this space now and you're obviously working with a cohort of people who are receiving a, a guaranteed return on a monthly basis without having to navigate all these stressful pieces of red tape. It's it's a great service. Yeah, yeah, no it is. Um, I, what what I'm finding is is it's these people that have say, you know, large sums of money sitting in their bank it is hard earned. They're probably business owners or they're, you know, high C-suite employees. Um, and like they could be working anything up to, you know, 50, 60 hours a week. Um, and they just want the the knowledge that the, their money is actually just, you know, working for them. And it's not just kind of stagnating in the bank. The, mm. These people are educated enough to realise that 
Um, leaving it in the bank is probably the worst thing that you can do because instantly you're losing, you know, the the, the effects of inflation uh, by leaving it in the bank because the bank's not giving any interest rates um, at the moment. Um, and yeah, they they my clients they just don't tend to want to get their hands dirty with this. And they don't want to have to like the thoughts of like maybe changing toilets or, you know, uh, getting in maintenance mm. men uh, into their houses. So I suppose, yeah, I the, what I'm providing is some something that um, can actually that the investor can be, you know, completely passive because they've got their own stuff going on. This is just another kind of another arm that they're just comfortable that it's invested with prop in property. Uh, with someone probably that's, you know, like myself, that's invested in this full time, you know, uh, a professional sort of thing in, in the market, you know. And your chartered accountancy and um, your master's in accountancy leave you well placed to kind of navigate the, the financial side of it. Um, so I think they're winning on every front. What's the best way for people to contact you, Lisa, if they want to have a chat off the back of this? Um, what's the best way for them to reach out? Yeah, so if they visit my website, um, maybe, and uh, my email address is lisa at lawpropertysolutions.ie. Um, and all the de- details are on my website, or they can visit the website at www.lawpropertysolutions.ie um, and just reach out and we can kind of have a chat and um, see if there's anything we can we can help with you know that'd be great awesome awesome and obviously um if any of the expat listeners have questions on the taxes we touched on them very lightly here um we are always available as well info at expattaxes.ie um or you can book a consultation directly via the website uh, lisa thank you so much for talking to us i really enjoyed it i've learned a lot asked you probably lots of questions um i think we've earned a coffee and um yeah, it's really good to catch up and it's really good to hear that there's people, entrepreneurs who are thinking in this way. And I think, you know, you said something at the start of the call. I thought I had to have, you know, an, an idea, but I think you have. And I think it's a brilliant one. And I think um, what you're doing is fantastic. So, um, yeah, well done. And thanks for talking to us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Tax Bites for Expats. Please do leave a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcast. And as always, remember to take professional tax advice specific to your personal circumstances before acting or refraining from action in connection with the matters dealt with in this series. The material in this podcast is intended to give general guidance only.